Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Angela Pointer is the Director of Talent Acquisition at Centara Healthcare. She has spent over 16 years of her career in healthcare recruiting and is a mission-driven, motivational leader of talent matchmakers focused on relationships, resources, and results. Prior to Centara, Angela led recruitment teams for the University of Maryland Medical System, Go Health Urgent Care, DeKalb Medical, and Duke University Health Systems. Angela received her master's degree in organizational psychology from Walden University and her bachelor's degree in nursing from Clemson University. She lives in Northern Virginia with her husband and teenage son. Hello, Angela. Welcome to the Healthcare and Hire podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Excellent. I know that at the time of this recording, it is July 4th weekend. I'll just start off by asking, are you doing anything fun today or this weekend? Actually, I am. I am in what I call my happy place. So I'm in uh, at the beach. And this particular time, I'm at Nagset, Outer Banks. This is my first time here. So really enjoyed it and taking a break from the oceanfront to be with you. I so appreciate that. I mean, you prioritize this uh, this opportunity over being with your family and being on, you know, with the ocean. Uh, I don't know how, how I can repay you for that. So I'm just going to express my undying gratitude uh, and appreciation for you being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I, I count it an honor. Awesome. Well, Angela, I know a lot of people that have been listening to the show enjoy meeting new people, learning about new guests and where they're from. Uh, I'm sure there's a, a percentage of my population today that's listening that might be meeting you for the first time. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you formally introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you help take healthcare to a higher level? Sure. Um, well, I serve as a director of talent acquisition at Centera Healthcare. I have been in the space of talent acquisition and talent acquisition leadership for about 16 years now. The reason why I know is because my son is 16 and he was four months old when I started as a recruiter. So a little bit about what, I guess, my day-to-day. As a, I am um, one of two directors at Centera Healthcare. We have a team of about 50 individuals. Um, we have 
recruiters at different levels. We have um, talent acquisition one, talent acquisition two, senior talent acquisition specialist. Then we also have leadership roles. We have um, talent acquisition advisors and managers, and then our two directors and a vice president of talent acquisition. So we're a pretty big team um, servicing uh, the needs of Centera Healthcare, which our mission, and you'll probably go into that, is um, impacting lives, improving health every day. And we do that by making sure we have talent that is um, able to take care of patients. So we fill our positions. Um, one thing that I guess maybe in this role, I've been a recruiter um, by background. So I like to recruit, but in the role that I'm in now, people ask all the time, well, do you recruit? I, I'd say that I have the privilege of leading the people to find the people to take care of the people. So in my role as a leader, it's about um, being able to make sure the team has what they need to be successful to have the necessary partnerships with our colleagues within HR as well as in the business. And one piece of my role um, specifically for me is around um, process, process improvement and also around um, our recruitment strategy, marketing, that kind of thing. So things that I enjoy and have fun doing. I can tell you're very excited by those elements of, of recruitment. And I will, you know, full disclaimer, I also hail from a talent acquisition background. So having you, I think, as my first talent acquisition representative uh, is really exciting, but also to hear how you and your team are responsible for finding the right people to continue the mission of taking care of patients. Like you're the first touch point and really the most important touch point for any nurse, healthcare professional, administrator that comes in, uh, or even just employee because if they see and can feel the passion that you have for what you do at, at your organization, then they're going to get bit by that bug and say, you know, this, this might be a good place for me as well. So I'm really excited to have you share that with me. Uh, and for the listeners that are listening, you know, I'm sure those that live in North Carolina and Virginia are very familiar with Centara. Uh, that is where your home base is. But for those that might be listening in California or the Midwest and might be wondering who Centara is, let me kind of give you some context uh, about the organization, just so you have a, a better understanding of how, uh, how wide and how big uh, the organization is. So as, uh, as Angela pointed out, Centara Healthcare is a not-for-profit organization. It actually serves a total of over 900,000 members, and it's responsible for 29,000 employees across two states. Part of those two states include 12 hospitals, 10 nursing centers, four medical groups, and three assisted living facilities. So Angela, you and your team have the responsibility of making sure all of those facilities and sites have the right talent on board. Uh, but in addition to the actual physical location, Centaur is also responsible for, for um, managing and offering a health plan called Optima Health Plan, which has 450,000 members. The organization itself was founded in 1972, and it's based out of Norfolk, uh, but over the years, it's actually developed quite a reputation in a lot of great spheres. So I know that Centara was actually nationally recognized for clinical quality and safety, but it was also named to IBM Watson's Health Top 15 Health Systems in 2021, and it's been recognized by Forbes as the best employer for women. These are not small achievements. These are very large accolades that require both a concentration of heart, of mind, and of spirit. Uh, and I can sense that, you know, just looking at you right now on the video, like, yeah, it's definitely all there. And we're going to delve into a lot of that. So for the listeners today, I hope that gives you some good 
ideas of, you know, who Centara is and, and why we're talking to Angela, because Angela's, you know, background as a registered nurse and now in talent acquisition is a is the perfect dovetail of why we have this podcast and why we bring on leaders like Angela uh, so that people can recognize what value we as healthcare professionals bring to a larger scope of the, of the healthcare slice. Um, Angela, you know, you mentioned the size of your team. You have 50, you know, people that are on your team uh, from talent acquisitions, recruiters and sourcers or coordinators, all the way up to vice presidents. I'd love to understand a little bit about, you know, what your department has been doing, especially in a post-pandemic world, to try and, uh, you know, face the challenges that have been created by COVID-19, uh, by vaccine mandates in certain states or vaccine uh, administration apprehension in other, you know, in the public perception. Um, I know, personally speaking, having worked in talent acquisitions and continuing to do so, uh, it's been, uh, I don't know how else to describe it, like whiplash over and over again, where you're sort of like, this was what steady state looked like, and then you shifted, and then you had to shift back and shift again and keep on shifting. Um, you know, as a leader, I'd love to understand a little bit about some of the initiatives that you've taken within Centara Healthcare uh, to try and retain top talent, to attract new top talent, uh, and maybe a success story that you and uh, that you are you're proud of of your team that you'd like to share. That's a loaded question. So I'll start um, because I will say that I actually joined Centara, I guess, in the middle or during the pandemic. I started in November of 2021. So I um, was very happy to, to join the team. And one thing like many organizations, the organization I came from, plenty other organizations that uh, individuals I talked to, it's about, okay, how do we not only find talent, but the other piece is retaining talent. And this is another one of my soapboxes when it comes to um, talent acquisition and recruitment is retention is not just a separate thing. To me, I believe that recruitment and retention go hand in hand. And um, as you mentioned earlier, from a recruitment standpoint, we're kind of the people at the front door. So we're the first face, voice, et cetera, of the organization for team members. So I think it's very important that we focus on recruiting for retention and what can we do from the standpoint of not only retaining talent, but our piece of the pie in actually retaining talent. Um, one of the things that we look at when you look at requisition loads, a lot of organizations are faced just like we are with, oh my goodness, our requisition loads have totally increased our number of requisitions, which I won't name on this call, but it's proportionate. A lot of people are, are increasing. And how do we manage that? How do we do that um, in a way that is effective and that is um, efficient? So some of the things that we've worked through is either with partnerships and what we need to do temporarily in terms of additional help. The other piece is around how do we, not only retaining the talent of individuals that are at the bedside, but one thing that I think is important is retaining recruiters. Um, this is a season, particularly for healthcare recruiters where um, some individuals, many that I actually know of personally, who have chosen to go uh, leave healthcare. Uh, and so one of the things that I even think about as far as what about the future for talent acquisition is I, you know, I hope that we actually have and we are able to retain um, uh, talented and knowledgeable healthcare recruiters for the future. I do know because I'm probably I wouldn't say an anomaly. There are a number of us who are um, healthcare providers, former healthcare providers that have gone into a healthcare recruitment, but many people are um, at, a, at the place of retirement or either at the place of looking to do something different. So 
one thing that I'll mention, this might be our little shame, my little shameless plug here, is we did look at some things that we can do with our team in terms of retaining, um, as far as looking at from a compensation standpoint, but also looking at um, incentive plans and sustainable incentive plans. We have done um, incentive plans periodically for different reasons, but now we actually re uh, launched something starting July 1st, which actually is um, recently on um, a more sustainable incentive plan for recruiters. So we're really excited about that and, and many other things that we are working on to retain our recruiters at Centera Healthcare. But I think that's something that um, health uh, talent acquisition leaders to, uh, can look at in terms of what can we do to set the example for retention is that you know we're looking at the retention rates of our organization, but we look within our own talent acquisition team and see, oh my goodness, look at our retention. So you know you have to lead by example. I I would agree, and you know the talent acquisition industry, as as large as it is, when it comes to healthcare, like there's a different breed, right? Like there's a different type of recruiter, sourcer, individual that's on this team that just has to have that the right heart. I don't know how to describe it. It's really difficult. Being a pharmacist myself, being a nurse that you are, you know, there's, there's, we, we use the word heart a lot, uh, you know, as it comes to patient care, but it also applies to recruitment. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've worked with some really great recruiters that were not in a healthcare space, uh, but there is just a difference. Um, and that's something that while maybe it's possible to overcome that through training, um, it's just almost like it has to be there to begin with. Um, and we're going to talk about your career in a moment or so, but I want to kind of touch on something that I, I sensed and I'd like to dig in a little bit more, right? You know, we're talking about retention and how that is actually really a, a, the two sides of the same coin in a way, right? Where you have the ability to attract new talent and bring people into the into the organization because of the, the vision, the benefits, uh, you know, the all the great things that organizations do. At the same time, once they come in, it's, the, it's, it's, it's our responsibility to continue that relationship to understand what their what their goals are and to find resources or partner with them with other people that they can find a career pathway or help you know even start that you know are there things over the course of your career in talent acquisition that's kind of rubbed you the wrong way or that's like a pet peeve when you see how that like you know how things operate today that you have have you said like no that's that's not cool and i wish other people would stop doing that uh, I think it's just fascinating to talk to another healthcare professional in the talent acquisition space and kind of compare notes. Okay, so I have a few, but I'll just mention one for the sake of, of time and for this, uh, this call. And that is um, records and looking at records as numbers, because I actually just mentioned records just now. Um, you know, and some leaders and some recruiters even focus on a number. Like I have X number of requisitions. I have people ask all the time, what's your average requisition load per recruiter? I get that that is an important metric, an important number, but a number is just a number, in my opinion, in terms of really looking at, you have to look at more than that. So I'll give you an example. So um, say, for example, I'm just going to pick out a number. I'm not saying this is what is actually true. Um, in our organization, we actually have a, a recruiter that handles respiratory therapists. And so um, this individual recruits respiratory therapists across the system. So say, for example, he has 40 uh, respiratory therapy requisitions and positions to fill. And we have another recruiter, say Sally, who is a corporate recruiter, and she has 40 positions as well, but she has 40 all different positions, different leaders, etc. Yeah, and in one way you think, oh, they have both have 40 requisitions, that is equitable. 
now, you know, what do you think about that? Is, is that really an equitable load? These are apples and oranges. These are not the same type of requisition and the responsibilities and the efforts are vastly different. Exactly. Right. And so that's the reason why I don't get so focused on numbers, even though I do think numbers are important. I am a bit of a data geek and I love some numbers. But then I also want to know what's the story behind the numbers as well. So that's one that when people want to talk about, oh, well, this person has this number of recs and this one has this number of recs. I like to do a further deeper dive and just not look at numbers. That's a little pet peeve of mine when people look at just numbers of requisitions without looking at the full story. Come on, Angela. That's one. I know that there's more. <laughs> that's okay. Like, we've got time, but you know what? Give me another one. Like, because I, I will agree with you, right? And when we talk to leaders, whether they're on the business side or the HR side, uh, in our HR partners, you know, we ended up we we show them the TA dashboard. We're like, hey, this is where everything is from start to finish. You know, how many recs are, how many people applied, you know, what the drop-off rate looks like. Numbers are important, and I agree with you 100 percent right? But though we do have to have more meaningful uh, educational conversations so that they understand, like, you know, your 40 recs here, you know, for that individual, for that type of rec, you know, we're talking an hour investment, you know, at, at best, you know, for each. But on that side, uh, that's like an eight hour investment. Like you and I both know the sourcing uh, statistics, right? It takes six hours to source a really good talent uh, for one position, uh, just a candidate, not even like actually get them into the pipeline. Uh, so I totally get that. But there's, I'm sure there are other things that you and I will compare notes on. But is there another pet peeve that just gets you? And when you hear other talent acquisition professionals start talking and Suddenly, like your hair starts to stand up like, ah, you too. So this one is kind of maybe trivial and it may be just semantics, but it's one of the little things that gets me sometimes, especially we're in the season of vacations and people have out of office messages and things of that nature. Uh, I cringe sometimes when I see messages that say for emergencies. I'm like, okay, we're in talent acquisition. Is there an, and maybe this is the nurse side of me too. I'm like, when I think of emergencies, I think, someone's someone's about to die you know i'm thinking all of those things and um, now we'll i will say this now there are things that i will use the word time sensitive so say for example a hiring manager just interviewed a great candidate and they make they want to make sure they get that offer out to me that's time sensitive that's not an emergency so that's one of my pet peeves that I know people might. Um, so I guess people listening to this, if you're in talent acquisition and you use that terminology, feel free to continue using it. That's just my own personal pet peeve. Or if you want to maybe think about it differently and maybe substitute the word emergency for time sensitive. Angela, I'm going to do that because I've got my standardized PTO verbiage already in my Outlook calendar. I'm going to go back and change that. I don't know what I have. I know that, you know, for, for something, contact so-and-so. But I'm going to change that to time sensitive because you are right. And I remember that when I first entered the world of talent acquisition, right? We were all healthcare professionals moving into this recruitment space. And we were all told repeatedly, there is no one that will die at the end of the day because you did not respond to an email. And it had to be repeated for us. So you are right, especially when you've had the patient-facing provider experience and you know what, you know, a, a crash card and, you know, code red is like, you're like, okay, that is an emergency. So speaking of which, like, how did you end up in talent acquisition? That's always a question that gets asked, right, of myself and my colleagues. And I'm going to ask you the same thing. Like you were, you know, you were a patient-facing provider, you're a clinician, you were dealing with patients. How did you end up working in a recruitment? 
That is an um, interesting story. I This is kind of one of my little, I guess, elevator pitches I say all the time. I'm the poster child for all you can do in nursing that's non-traditional. So this year makes I'm 25 years that I've been a registered nurse. So uh, if you do the math, I started when I was two, okay? <laughs> <laughs> when I say that, sometimes I'm like, tell I'm, your 16 year old son that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes I think, oh gosh, 25 years, I'm really dating myself. But uh, 25 years as a nurse, so keep that number in mind. Now, how many years did I spend at the bedside? A year and a half. So I have done lots of different things. Um, of course, uh, as a nurse at the bedside, cardiac nursing is what I did. Uh, I also spent a good bit of time in the world of home care and hospice in various roles. And interestingly, with hospice, I've had the, the experience of being on the side of being a provider as well as a family member for hospice. So I always say if I ever went back to uh, any type of patient-facing role, it would be hospice for me because it's just been something that's a mission. I actually stumbled into recruitment. Um, I had an individual who contacted me while I was on maternity leave. That's how the whole thing of remembering about how old my son is, um, about an opportunity as a recruiter. And she was and said that I know you don't have any experience as a recruiter, but I feel that you have um, transferable skills and skills that would be will serve you well as a nurse recruiter. And so did that. And lo and behold, I found my niche and have been in the space of recruitment um, as a recruiter. Initially, I recruited. Um, for started as a nurse recruiter, then I did, then I was the only recruiter for the hospital because a smaller hospital at the time. And I've um, uh, not only recruited, but then I've also had the opportunity for the last number of years now to lead recruitment teams and totally enjoy what I'm doing. Um, I actually, once I became a recruiter uh, 16 years ago, about two years into being a recruiter, I realized this is what I want to do and I want to be a leader and uh, lead a talent acquisition team in a large health system. And fast forward a number of years later, I've been able to do that. So I'm living my dream. I know people say something about dream jobs and things of that nature. Um, I actually get to do what I enjoy doing. I get up every morning, not fearing, not um, dreading having to, having to go to work, but actually being grateful to do the work that I do and actually be able to impact people in a different way in terms of um, leading recruitment teams. So totally love what I do. And I'm so grateful. I think I might be getting ahead of myself, but you may ask me about someone. So the individual who actually recruited me to be a recruiter, I thank her all the time, because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be doing what I love. So let's talk about a couple of things. There's a lot of there's a lot to unpacking what you've just shared, and I want to make sure we do a good breakdown, right? So let's talk about the progression of your career when you transitioned away from the bedside into the recruitment chair, right? You started out as a nurse recruitment manager at Duke University of Health System. You then moved into a manager of workforce planning for DeKalb Medical. You then were a manager of talent acquisition for Go Health Urgent Care. And then prior to accepting the role right now as a director of talent acquisition at Centara Healthcare, you were a senior director of talent acquisition with the University of Maryland Medical System. I mean, that's a, these are big moves, right? And so with each, I guess we should probably go back to the beginning, which was when that recruiter reached out to you for a recruiter role, what went through your head? What was it that you were thinking, you know, were you like, oh, of course, I, this was, you know, the call I've been waiting for, because I've always knew, knew that, the, I've always known that these were transferable skills, or were you sort of like, where is this coming from? Because I have no idea what you're talking about, lady or guy, uh, but now I am intrigued. 
Um, you know, how did you decide, first and foremost, what went through your mind when you got the call? And then number two, what did you have to use as factors in making the decision to say yes, to say goodbye to patients and hello to attracting top talent? Well, actually, it was um, not a call I was expecting, I will say that. And um, I didn't know much about a recruiter. I'm like, I vaguely remember when I started my first um, job as a registered nurse, there was someone called a recruiter that I worked with, but didn't really know much about what the role was or anything. So it was like uh, definitely kind of a call out of left field, but an opportunity for me to kind of think, hmm, this is something different. Now, I was not in direct patient care at the time. I actually was um, at the home care hospice organization. I, le- I was leading the intake team at the time. So I was in a leader role. So one of the things that was going through my mind was, okay, I'm going from a leader role to an individual contributor role. So how does that, how does that feel? Um, but for some reason, it just kept, there was something that just kept nagging at me. Like, I think this would be a good opportunity for me to kind of experience something different. And so I kind of stepped out on a, uh, on a whim, so to speak, or, you know, I get people who call it different things. I'll say I stepped out on faith and I, um, move forward with the opportunity. And like I said, now, 16 years later, I'm still uh, doing in the space of talent acquisition and total revenue. And not only are you doing a great job, you're teaching and training and developing others to do that as well. What is the size of your team again? I know you said the total team is 50, but there's two directors. So is that 25-25 split? Um, not exactly number-wise. We actually divide our, um, the, we divide it by our divisions of our organization. So um, we have 12 hospitals and then we also have other divisions. Um, We have the health plan that you just mentioned, uh, as well as um, home care and hospice medical group. So those are the areas that I have, uh, home care, hospice, um, medical group, our health plan and corporate. But I also um, have oversight of our recruitment marketing um, and and what, one part that we call innovation and process improvement. So those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to um, doing some work with. One thing that I'll put a little plug in that I'm, I'm very excited about uh, doing is that I put together a diversity ta- recruitment, diversity recruitment task force, gotta say that. Uh, so I'm really excited to be working with uh, colleagues across our organization um, with our Centers for Diversity uh, inclusion and cultural competency, we abbreviate as CDICC. Um, one thing about in healthcare, we have abbreviate, uh, abbreviations or acronyms. For everything. Right? As, everything. Well, as well as our talent management and now with our physician recruitment team. So that's one of many things that I'm working on from that standpoint. Um, so that's a little bit about how we're um, structured. We do have each um, director has two managers. So I have two managers that reports to me and my colleague has two managers that reports to her. And then we kind of break down from there with the other, the rest of our team members. I also have reporting up through me is our, um, our talent acquisition um, marketing specialist. And uh, so really excited to work with her and a lot of the things that she's doing. So really exciting, um, op- really exciting time. And I totally enjoy um working with the team that I've been working with for the past, I think, seven months now. Excellent. Angel, tell me, you know, as a leader, and we, that, those are the, the guests that I invite have leadership experience uh, currently and, and in the past, because we want to be able to showcase how healthcare professionals, you know, have to 
maneuver through a variety of interpersonal interactions with teams, right? And as a leader, you know, you have the ability and the responsibility really to actually give them direction, guidance, as well as support and allocate resources. So I'm curious because every leader's got a different approach, right? Like everybody, there are some that are more autocratic, like, you know, hey, this is what we have to do. And this is how you're going to go do it. So go do it. Uh, but, you know, there's not everyone, everyone's got their own style. What is your philosophy when it comes to giving direction to your team? How do you, what do you find is the most effective method to do that? And then how do you measure the results and the, recept uh, the receptiveness of your team uh, using the philosophy that you use to help them get better and achieve success in the talent acquisition space? Okay, good question. So those who have reported to me before, many people kind of know what I refer to as my three directives. Uh, and, my, and they're in three categories. So I have category one, category two, and category three. So category one are those decisions that are, it is what it is. This is what, this is a, this, this is something that we just have to do. It is not negotiable. So that's category one. Um, category two are those things that as a leader, it is my decision, but I do that not in a vacuum and not in a silo, but with feedback from individuals and that kind of thing. I may, I will ask for thoughts and suggestions and that kind of thing, but at the end of the day, it will ultimately be my decision as a leader and looking at what's both best both for the organization as well as for the team. And then there, I, my third category is what I call category three. And these are things that um, you guys as a team can decide. So I'll put it up to you, whatever you guys want to do, you guys decide, and if you vote or whatever you want to do, and I'm on board with that. So one of the things that I think is important for individuals to understand is everything in the world is not going to be a category three. We're not going to just everybody kumbaya, we're all going to just live happy, happily ever after. Yeah. But then I also recognize too that there are times that there are just things that we just have to do. So those are my category one. So I have a person that um, used to report to me, she always asked, now, which one is this? Can you remind me, is it a category one, two, or three? So um, that's kind of my, my thought. So I do think from a, also from a retention standpoint, going back to that, I think it's helpful to have opportunities for the team members to feel that they are a part of making decisions that impact their work. So I like to incorporate as many things as I can from a category three perspective. Probably what I do more of as a leader and have done over the years is more of what I, my category two. These are things that ultimately I needed to make a decision as a leader, but I do want to make the decision with the input from the team and just getting what their thoughts are. And then also being able to explain because you're going to have situations where the, the suggestion that maybe a person made that may not be the suggestion that, that you go in and then you go in that direction. But if you kind of share why and you listen and understand what you're saying, but for this reason, this is the reason why we're going in this direction at least people know that they had an opportunity to hear, to be heard and to provide, um, provide feedback and provide suggestions. But I think it's very important that you listen um, to your team and not just feel like, okay, it's just my, my way or the highway. Or, you know, I'm also a proponent. I'm never, I guess, threatened or, or anything by people that are on my team. Because I think at the end of the day, we all have different things that we're great at. And I have to realize as a leader, I don't have to be the one that's the greatest at every single thing. But if I surround myself with people that are good at good and great in different things, then it makes us like a well-rounded team and a well-rounded um, department. 
You know, I love the fact that your team already recognizes the, the, the options that exist when it comes to decisions, right? And that, that must take a lot of communication. Like you've had to, I'm sure you've had turnover. Every team has had some. We talked about, you know, recruitment, retention, right? So when somebody new comes to the team, like how do you brace them for like, look, there's decisions that are going to be made, but there's a category one, a category two, and a category three. And I'm just going to let you know what it is. Like, is that a direct conversation or like, how is that? permeated throughout your team so that they know like, oh, there's options, but then, you know, Angel's going to let me know which one this falls under. So I have the ability to contribute or just accept and, and move forward. Yeah. And so one thing I'll mention is that this is something that I probably instituted in my very first um, uh, recruitment leadership uh, experience. So I've done this over years. Like I said, I've been at Centera not quite a year yet. So I'm still, you know, they're still learning me. I'm still learning them. So particularly my managers have heard this and they're very familiar with or be, are becoming familiar with kind of how I operate. But in other organizations that I've led, my teams are so used to that. And, and I do, I'm a direct, I have a direct conversation. I tell people all the time that I'm as transparent as I can be and still keep my job. So I to, you know, have conversations. I want people to feel very comfortable talking to me, not feeling fearful that, oh my God, I don't know what Angel is going to say. Please come to me. I try to, I'm like, I'm not going to bite. I um, I want to hear from people. I've always tried to create an environment where people want to um, feel comfortable talking to me. I have individuals, I actually have people that I still text. I was texting this weekend. There are people that used to, I had the privilege of leading that now that we've all gone in different directions, we still stay in contact with one another. That's amazing. I love that a lot. Thank you, Angela. We'll be right back after this short break. Angela, with your years of experience in talent acquisition, you know we've all had to shift and adapt to a new world. Um, why don't you share with me a little bit about what you see, especially having spoken to other people within the talent acquisition industry and as a healthcare professional? Like, what do you see the world of talent acquisition looking like in two or three years? We're, we're consistently adapting, we're consistently shifting, but you know, what are the things that you've thought about or have had to experience and, and face to recognize? we're going to have to be ready for this in the next year or two or three. Well, if you asked people maybe four or five years ago, what did they think? And no one would have ever thought that, oh, we'll be dealing with the pandemic in 2020, right? So no one has a crystal ball. One of the things I, I think is, especially in the next year or two that we're looking at, at least for me, and I'm sure some organizations that are in the similar spaces, how do we trend, how do we blend um, remote work or hybrid work, et cetera? So um, we're in a situation where our entire talent acquisition team is remote. Uh, many of, of us are in the state of Virginia or North Carolina near one um, of our um, hospitals, but we also have team members in other states as well. And I think during the pandemic, another health, a number of health systems probably did something similar. So then what does that look like in terms of, do we continue to be remote? And, and then how do we blend being remote, but also meeting the needs of our hospitals because we recruit in a hospital? I um, am a, per, or some people, I, I don't think I've had the chance to say it too much yet at Centera, but I used to say it at my last organization prior to the pandemic, you can't build relationships from behind a desk or a phone. So I do believe that it's really important to be able to be and see the areas that you're recruiting for, because that makes a, 
it to, as a recruiter, it makes a whole lot of difference when you're having a conversation with a potential candidate and you're speaking from a space of, I know the place, I've, I've lived it, smelled it, breathed it, et cetera, versus, oh, I just saw something on a screen or read something on the paper. So I think it's really important to be able to not only understand the area, but understand the leaders, because one of my other thoughts about talent acquisition is that we're not a transactional department. We are, we can be transformational. So I think in some organizations, it's all about fill my recs. You're just the person that fills my recs. And that's another getting into pet peeves. I don't like that. Recruiters just say, well, hiring manager, I'm the recruiter for your rec. I'm like, ah, that just feels so rec driven, so transactional versus I'm your partner. I'm going to be working with your department on meeting your recruitment needs, et cetera. So that sounds a little bit better than I'm the recruiter for your break. So I just had to throw that other pet peeve in there. But I think going to back to your question about like the trend, the, where are we going? And I think it's really important for talent acquisition leaders to position ourselves where we're just not, we have a, a strategic function and, and the service that we can provide to our organizations, not just putting a button in the seat, but actually being very strategic about our workforce, what will our workforce look like in five years? Are we planning for retirements in our departments, et cetera? So those are the things that I think that as talent acquisition leaders, we definitely need to be on top of and not find ourselves two, three, four, five years later trying to figure out, oh, where did where did things go? Instead of being behind the ball, I'm not really an athlete or anything, but I think there's this thing about in some sports about like anticipating where the ball is going, right? So I think that's important for us as leaders is to anticipate what are going to be the talent acquisition needs. How are we going to be at the table in front of what we need to do instead of being behind, being the person that's taking the order of, oh, you need 50 of these to start by this date versus being a part of uh, the conversation up front. You know, I we could just have another four episodes, just you and me <laughs> on these topics. And so I know that we don't have the time for that and that's OK. But man, when I hear you talking about succession planning and talent reviews uh, and having seats at the table for all of these rather and being a consultative, a consultative partner rather than a you know, just an administrative assistant in a way for these types of roles. Uh, yeah, it definitely gets me jazzed as well. So I, I'm glad that you shared that. And I will agree that in the next two or three years, like I, I see a lot of talent acquisition professionals embracing these notions and actually applying it to their day-to-day -day practice. Um, and I'm sure as a leader, you are consistently uh, guiding them in that direction. And I'm certainly wishing you the best of success as, as that continues to become really just a, a brand recognition factor for your team. Earlier in this conversation, you had talked about the recruiter that found you. And we didn't get a chance to mention that individual by name, but I would really love to know, like, who are some people that you would attribute your success to, professionally speaking, that have helped either open doors for you or have taken you under their wing and developed you or just kind of, you know, spoken on your behalf to expose you to new opportunities? You said you're a non-traditionalist, which is great, uh, but <laughs> certainly those things don't always happen on our own accord. Um, I'd love for you to share with us some stories about people that you acknowledge and that would like to take this opportunity on the show to give thanks to and let them know what they've done for you and why. Well, let me start with one kind of me and my non-traditionalist. I have to say I have to be thankful to my father who is no longer with us. Um, he was my first boss. I actually um, was his summer secretary working with one of his secretaries. Um, when I was in high school. And um, one of the things that he taught me to do, of many things, 
is to smile when you're on the phone. So I've, and actually not only did he teach me, he really made sure that I did that. And said, are you smiling? So I still remember that lesson all, all these years. And there's so many things I can say I've learned um, from my father that have um, taken me to help, help me to get to where I am today. But going back to the person that you mentioned, her name is Detra Bickerstaff. And she's actually a nurse by background as well. And she um, was the uh, chief human resource officer at a hospital um, in Atlanta and was the one who reached out to me to um, about the opportunity and recruitment. And I'm so grateful to her for, um, for thinking of me and seeing that in me because I didn't feel like I was that close to her or, or that kind of thing, but I was very, very appreciative. And then even interestingly, I did leave that organization because I was recruited away to Duke. And she even said to me, if any place that you could go, because she started her nursing career at Duke. So she's like, well, I'll let you go there. So very grateful um, for, for Detra and for uh, introducing me to the world of, of recruiting and healthcare. So I have to say that. Um, I'll also, since I did mention Duke, um, I'm so grateful for Sylvia Austin, who um, I think is still in the role of um, uh, Associate Chief Nursing Officer at, at Duke. And she had responsibility for um, nurse recruitment as well as supplemental staffing. And we didn't get into this, but I did spend a little stint of my time at Duke as a nurse manager in the float pool. And that was something because she tapped me on the shoulder and thought that, you know what, I think that this would be a great opportunity for you as well as a good opportunity for our department. I remember saying to her, well, I'm, I've been away from actual bedside and clinical care for so long. And she said, well, I'm not needing a clinical leader. I need a leader of people. And so that was one of the things I did that was not on my bucket list, but so grateful that I had the opportunity to impact lives in a different way by um, being a manager in a float pool. I can continue on and on. We don't have a whole lot of time for me to talk about all the different people that I'm so grateful for in my career. Uh, one thing that I also try to do on the same token is be that person that's investing in other people. That's one of the things I find so rewarding and it's so exciting for me to be able to see individuals that I've hired, um, and that have grown in their careers, I've helped them or been able to do anything to help them in their in their growth. And I can be on it. I can talk on and on about so many examples, but I do want to be mindful of time. But hopefully that gives you kind of a background of some, some individuals that I'd like to thank as well as kind of be um, able to embrace others coming along behind me. I love how you give back to, you know, how, how you thank the ones that have helped you, but that you also pay it forward because that is really essential for for us to be good people like you just can't hog it all i don't know how else to say it like you know we're not selfish people we we want to be able to continuously paying it forward um and i'm glad to hear that you continue to take students professionals other leaders uh under your wing and develop them as well you mentioned bucket list earlier and i'm kind of curious to know i mean i'm sure you're very happy with where you are today but what have you set your sights on over the next 12 or 18 months to, as a goal list or a to-do list maybe something that you'd like to be a part of or something that you'd like to champion you mentioned your uh your dei initiative that's been recently established um and maybe that is it but if there's something else or if you'd like to talk about that a little bit more i'm always curious to know like you know when you set your sights on something you know what is that one thing that you want to see come to life in the next 12 or 18 months and now you're going to invest your energies and efforts into that wow that's a pretty loaded one um yeah so i kind of will go back to well, let me just maybe 
might clarify something I said earlier too in regards to the this particular work is one piece of a much larger puzzle. I, I well, I'm, I'm kind of on the Sentara uh, soapbox here. Uh, diversity is something that is so important to Sentara. It's not just about a recruitment leader doing this one particular thing. We have a lot of vested interests in our organization at senior levels and all um, for all different things that we're doing, not only from a um, recruitment standpoint, but a retention standpoint, also with diversity of our patients. Um, our, I'll mention our um, chief diversity officer's signature is include, inclusively yours. So just always being um, inclusive of everyone. So I just wanted to make sure I just say that it's not the end, Angela isn't the end all be all for diversity recruitment at Sentara. I'm a part of a, a much larger piece and I'm happy to do my part of it. And that's one of the things I think over the last, uh, over the next few years or so is being able to make a direct impact in the work that I do as it relates to um, recruiting, recruiting diverse talent in a number of areas. But one of the particular areas we're looking at is leadership, right? So um, you want to have a leadership team that is reflective of the people in the community, et cetera. So if everyone in your leadership looks the same way, then what does that say about your organization? So that's one of the things that I'm really excited about being a part of that work over the next few years. And one thing that I also mentioned earlier is around developing and leading people or developing people and leading is um, developing people into leaders. And that's one of the things that I'm excited about at this point. I feel like for me, I'm not a person that's chasing after titles or position or anything like that. I think I've came, I've come to a point in my career where I've done a lot of things and I'm very happy about what I've done and not necessarily looking for what's the next thing. But for me, I'm a person of, I know it may sound cheesy, but it's actually how I live my life and I'm very mission driven. So you know, when I look at making decisions, as you mentioned, I've you know, been able to be a part of different organizations and different roles over the years. And some of that, or actually almost every position I've been in has been because the position sought me out and not the other way around. And when I do that, I also look at not just what is it, what's in it, not, I don't look at just what's in it for me, but what can I be a part of? Can I see myself making a difference? I don't want to do anything, whether it be a job or even anything from a volunteer standpoint that I am not going to bring any value to because there are times that I'm like, oh, well, I don't think I'm gonna be able to bring value to that. So I'm not gonna get involved in that. So it's very important to me that I'm doing something that I'm very passionate about and that has a mission and that's something that I can get behind. That's, I love how you said that, Angela, because I think sometimes people forget that you know the value of what we bring to others is more more essential and more critical than, you know, what is it, what's in it for me? I hear the what's in it for me by so many other speakers uh, and so many other places like, oh, you know, your, your customers are going to ask what's in it for me and your patients are going to ask what's in it for me. And because of that conversation, we tend to adopt that respective perspective, like, oh, what's in it for me? And in reality, it's more like, well, what can I do for you? Um, and I think that that is a true testament to what good leadership looks like. So thank you for sharing that. 
Um, Angel, we know you talked about leadership development, and I'm really, you know, fascinated by that because there's so many resources, uh, influencers, speakers, authors, books, you know, out there. What are some go-tos that you go to for yourself in terms of your current professional leadership journey? Uh, maybe things that are either sitting on your nightstand today, maybe something you packed in your suitcase on your little uh, vacation that you're on now, um, or, you know, resources that you share with your team members to say, you know, I was where you were before, you really need to read this book or watch this video or, or get this because it will really help you. What are the things that you would recommend to the listening audience uh, as it relates to their personal, or sorry, professional leadership development? Oh, that's another loaded one and good one. So um, I'm gonna maybe kind of date myself a little bit that um, I have followed, and this has been for a number of years, um, John Maxwell. And I've read a lot of books, a number, I wouldn't say a lot, but a number of books by John Maxwell. I tend to like to watch um, uh, videos and you know, read blogs and things of that nature. I'm getting into books. And actually, you mentioned packing, so I'm going to do this because I did pack a book that I'm going to be starting this week. Um, I don't know if you can see it. it. Love and work. Yes. And so. Who's it written by? It is Marcus Buckingham. So looking forward to actually saw this on LinkedIn that someone was um, that uh, was doing was reading this book and I said, oh, I think I want to do this too. So I am going to be reading that one. Um, also another individual I like to follow is Quint Studer. I don't know if you're familiar, uh, formerly of the Studer Group. Um, and I, I think he has a lot of things that are out on um, social media. I do see things that he's posted on LinkedIn. So I do like following him. And then there's another individual, and these people I don't know personally. Uh, her name is Cy Wakeman, C-Y. Uh, yeah, so I love just the whole thing about drama, because that's another thing that that's another pet people of mine. I'm not a drama queen, so I don't like drama. I don't like to deal with drama. And so I like to either deal with the elephant in the room and don't let drama go um, continue. So Cy Wakeman is another one that I, I enjoy um, following and listening to her broadcast, her um, podcast and different things. So those are just a few people that um, I follow. And I think that I would recommend to others that if you're looking, to, particularly in growing yourself as a leader, I think it's really important to look at you and, um, you know, we're not going to be perfect, right? There's no perfect person, but if we can focus on things that we can do to develop and grow, that's only going to help the people that we will be leading. Agreed. Very much agreed. And you, I, you're the first person that's mentioned Sai, and I'm so glad that you did. I believe she was the keynote speaker at the Sherm conference about two or three years ago. And I, uh, I think it was 2018. And I was so excited to, to hear and read about her. I think that she's great. So yeah, I'm showing my HR nerdy side. It's all coming out on this show. Yes. All right. <laughs> awesome. Um, Angela, you know, when you, you know, again, as a leader, you have an opportunity to see the potential in your current team, uh, as well as, you know, through interactions, you know, outside of your organization, you, you come across a lot of individuals that sometimes you might think, you know, this, they would be a really good fit with our group, uh, whether it was within my talent acquisition team or HR or operations or somewhere in the Centara healthcare universe this individual has the right qualities and characteristics that would make a great fit. What are some of the things that you look for in people through interactions, conversations, uh, interviews, where you think, you know, these three qualities are the things that we need and she or he has them. So we need to get them on board. Or you see that in your own individual team members and think, 
you need to move forward and, and lead a, a different capacity. A good one. I think one of the first things that comes to mind is initiative and individuals who are enthusiastic and want to grow, want to want to do things, um, want to develop, not are gonna not sitting back waiting for someone to pick me, pick me, but actually come up and say, I want to grow. I want to be where you are. I have had individuals actually literally tell me that. I want to be you. I want to be in your role. What can, what can you do? I said, well, don't kick me out just yet. <laughs> but my thing is, I'm like, come on. I actually want to do everything I can to, to help you. So to me, that's one of the things that I would definitely value or tell individuals is definitely be one to, to be the initiator. Within reason, of course, you want to be respectful and that type of thing, but there's nothing wrong with putting it out there that, hey, I'm interested in this or I want to do this or can we do this? So I would say initiative is one thing. Um, another thing is actually speaking up and making suggestions. And those are things that are, are valuable. I will tell people all the time if they're looking to grow even in their organization or in another organization, make yourself known. And one way that you can make yourself known is by making suggestions. Now you have to be aware and mindful of the fact that just because you suggest something, it doesn't mean that everyone's gonna implement what you suggest, but the fact that you take the initiative to say, I've been thinking about this and I want to, I want to be able to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of, of um, growth and development of doing things differently, process improvement, that kind of thing. So I think it's important is going back to initiative and making suggestions and standing out. Um, those are things that, that I look for in individuals. I actually, um, I think it's really interesting. I was interviewing um, someone for a role in another organization some, um, at, some time ago, and I was very interested. I found it interesting that the individual researched me and found out things and actually found out something that I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that that was online about me. So I'm like, even though you might think in some ways, I'm like, that's kind of creepy. But in some ways, it's like, you know, the person really took the initiative because they really wanted to work um, for me or in my department. So they took the initiative to actually uh, look up things and make suggestions on, okay, I can help you with that. Wow. I mean, it's good and scary at the same time, right? They say the internet never forgets. And, uh, you know, when somebody takes the time to, to research you, I mean, it's pretty flattering, but it's also indicative of how they think and their thought process to be able to come prepared uh, to, to address the situation. I, I love that. And those are great call outs, Angela. You know, as we start to get close to the end of our show, like, you know, I always ask my guests, like, you know, you've come so far, you've learned a lot, and you've been able to, uh, you know, acquire new skills through experiences. If you, and especially for the listening audience, because, you know, they're, they're always looking to be able to grow in their own space or, or try new things as a non-traditionalist, you know, yourself, you know, I think you can resonate very well with the audience. So when you think back to your younger self, like when you were two, uh, or 20 years ago, <laughs> however you want to phrase it. But when you think about going back and you had the opportunity to see your younger self, maybe at a point in your younger career where you were scared or unsure, what advice would you give that individual? How would you go back and say, Angela, get a hold of yourself. You'll be fine. I, I promise you, just start doing this or make sure you continue doing what you're already doing. What would that one piece of advice be? Hmm. Thinking back to myself to when I was two, um, <laughs> I think not being afraid to try something new and different and not feeling 
comfortable. I guess maybe that's one thing that I have learned over the years is to be okay with doing something different, getting it going into the unknown and not really knowing everything. Now, mind you, by by my um, personality, I'm a planner. I like to plan things. I like to know what what's going ahead, what's going um, what's going to be happening. Even as I mentioned to you, I'm on vacation. We're kind of on a little bit of a schedule um, because I like to have a plan of what we're going to be doing. So I think there's a balance between being um, planning ahead, but also being okay that I'm not going to know all everything. I'm not going to have all the answers, but I have enough of information to be able to know that this is the right thing. This is the next step for me. The other thing I'll mention too is be, it's okay to sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to, you know, step out to do something and it's like, oh, well, that didn't quite work out. It's okay because you're going to learn from it. So that's what I would tell my younger self or others that are coming along is to, to be okay with some, with some of the unknown, but plan for what you can. And then what you can't plan for, just trust and, and step out there and, you know, you'll, sometimes you'll actually, it'll be great. And then sometimes it may not be great, but you will learn from it. I love the wise words, Angela. Angela, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate learning from you and your insights and, and having the ability to share your professional journey with the audience has been very, very tremendously accepting. I wish you the absolute best of success in whatever you choose to do over the next couple of months, especially at Centara Healthcare and continuing to, to help your teams be better. And I'm looking forward to seeing you continue to take healthcare to a higher level. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you having me and helping me to get out of my comfort zone. So this has been a very comfortable time. Enjoy talking with you. It's like two friends chatting over coffee. That is exactly the go. Much appreciated. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career, build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.